friends, welcome. This is it. We have over a decade of episodes unpacking stories and life to help you discover your purpose, your divine design, and what you are wired to do. This is Patty Lynn Wyatt. Please subscribe on YouTube or subscribe to Girlfriend It so we can be in it together. All right. Welcome to Girlfriend It. This is Patty Lynn Wyatt. I will be your host today. And we are going to be chatting with Julie Lowe, a counselor, as well as the author of Building Bridges, Biblical Counseling Activities for Children and Teen. And what's up, Julie? It took us forever to nail you down to get you on the show. I I think we've been trying for a year now, almost. And (laughs) so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for making time today. It is an honor to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Julie, you have a very creative way and uh, taking biblical theology and making it practical and applicable for teens. Well, not only teens, you also work with uh, smaller children as well. And you have this new book. I believe it came out in September and it is loaded with extremely fabulous ideas and activities about God's truth, uh, especially for those kids that are hurting and they've gone through trauma. So I'm, I'm just diving in here. Tell, tell us what started this, um, your journey and your passion into going into counseling and then about writing your book. Sure. So, um, As a counselor, I was often struck with just how challenging it was to work with children and teens, and it it does require a different approach. So years ago, I just began thinking about what does it look like to really thoughtfully engage young people? How do we draw them out really well, and how do we speak into their world well? And so that, that took me down a journey of really wanting to be better at it and to be thoughtful and understand that ministering to children and teens is different than ministering to adults. Many counselors avoid counseling children because it feels more challenging. And if we want to really want to get kids and teens to open up to their world, then we want to meet them where they are developmentally and really help them feel understood and known. So that that began my journey of just saying, what does it look like to love them well and draw them out? And how do we use really creative, expressive measures to enter into their world. Mm. I I know there's a quote, I, uh, Plato, I think, you can learn more about a person in an hour of play than you can from a lifetime of conversation. And that that mm. is more of what you do, right? It's more play right. and activities. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so it's funny because play feels like you're not really doing anything effective, right? It feels, um, yeah, it feels like you're just sitting around playing with toys without a purpose where really expressive activities and the work of engaging, especially younger kids, is about entering their world. It's about using things like uh, puppets or miniatures or coloring or art to draw them out, to get them to express themselves. And uh, we know that even just sitting down coloring can be relaxing. It lowers defenses. It makes people more likely to talk when they're projecting and looking at something else rather than you. It feels less threatening. So it's not like it's something magical. It's more just understanding relationally how people are wired and can meet them. 
And I think using um, even toys to engage kids is really important, really helpful to, um, to enter into their world and love them well and draw them out. So you, in, in your book, talking about drawing them out, you share a story of a young teen that is sexting. And I, I, I'm, I'm choosing that topic because I think it's so big. We mm-hmm. don't understand, at least for me, I have a teenage daughter and I can't comprehend the, the whole sexting thing and the pictures that they're sharing. And then later on, that turns around and bites her in the buhiney, obviously, because now these pictures are getting out there to her peers. Uh, I I can't even imagine the trauma that would take place there (laughs) having that happen. You're putting the most vulnerable part of you out there and to someone that you think you trust, and then they turn around and share it with, with everyone uh, what would be an example here of meeting them where they're they're at? Yeah, so there are are lots of things you can do. Uh, journaling is one. Getting them to journal about hard things when looking you in the face and saying hard, embarrassing, potentially shameful things could be difficult. Um, in that case that you're talking about, I le- I use music and. That's where you can really carefully but winsomely use technology and even YouTube to share music and look at lyrics and talk about why you connect with it and how how that song expresses your experience. And then even trying to use music to speak back into her world, finding the genre that she enjoys, um, but finding music and words and lyrics that are hopeful, that inspire and move her towards the Lord and move her towards working through the issues of shame and embarrassment. So you can do anything from the use of, of, of songs and music to YouTube and technology to journaling uh, to even art to, to getting her to express feelings and emotions. And so it's really this this winsome approach of figuring out uh how they connect best, what what are things in their world that make them feel understood and known, and how can I meet them and use that in ways that, that draw them out and draw them to the Lord. Mm. I'm I'm curious how this would transfer over. You're just having me think, so I'm going I'm going off now onto another tangent as you're talking. I'm thinking, sure. I wonder how that transfers over to adults because you know, I, I heard an example once of, you know, I I'm a trainer, so I can't imagine if I'm presenting to a, a room full of people and I tell them, hey, turn to each other and share your most embarrassing experience or your your weirdest sexual situation that you were ever in. You know, of course, they're not going to share. And then we have them come into a room and, you know, your job is like, give me your deepest, darkest secrets and let's fix you. So even right. for an adult, uh, just being able to color and... I know I work with um, girls that are college girls. And when I say, you know, come to Costco with me and and go shopping or, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to kill two birds at one time. I'm trying to go for a hike with me because I want to still fill my day and be able to, you know, spend time with others. And that is the best time that they're talking is when you're just Mm one-on-one hiking, shopping, rather than that sit down on the couch and, you know, it, it's fun having a cup of coffee with them, but 
I, I find that when you're not facing each other and you're doing something that it's more organic, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's something about doing something together that does feel more relaxing, less threatening, more. It's walking alongside each other. It's doing everyday life together. But then in a counseling room, it's slightly different, but you're you're learning to come alongside them. Um, where again, there's a there's a different an authority figure with kids and teens, and you want to you want to lower that defense and try to find a way to come alongside them, and that that means doing things that they do, entering their world, understanding what's important to them, it's meeting them on their level. And I often say I, I counsel and I teach a course in this, and I often tell uh, seminary graduate students. If you can be really good at working with a child or teen, you're going to become really good at working at many populations and and different adults. Not everybody can work with kids, but if you can learn to work with kids, it makes you better at working with many populations because you are learning the skill of entering into somebody's world um, that's different than you on a different plane or a different level. And there are a lot of adults. I've, I've met with adults who said, Julie, it'd be so much easier if we were painting a room right now for me to talk to you or if we were going for a walk and sitting here is just hard. And I'll get up and say, all right, let's go for a walk then. And, and mm. that's, that's just loving people well. It's being the gospel to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I have another scenario because it, it's always played in my mind and you might just go, okay, Patty, and this isn't your therapy session, but um, <laughs> with, I, I have worked in the past uh, over a decade with gals that have been in the sex industry. Um, many of them, not, not by choice. And one gal had shared that her, her brother at a very young age had been coming into her room and sexually molesting her. And she she loved her brother and she never did anything about this until later on he married someone and then began molesting his stepdaughters. Um, he, mm. he went to prison and she would go visit him in prison. And she she always was had these mixed emotions that I'm I love my brother, but had I said something earlier, he would probably never not go on and then molest his stepdaughters. And she was confused with the love that she had for her brother, as well as not turning her brother in. Uh, what, what would you even do with someone like how how do you even get past that? Does, does that question even make sense? Yeah, and and feel free to clarify, but unfortunately, I I see more and more of that of of sibling abuse, sibling on sibling, for for various reasons. Um, But it's a hard thing because you don't want you don't want to teach somebody to hate their sibling, and so you're separating the emotion from I care about this person, but what they're doing is wrong, and there needs to be accountability and intervention, and that. Even reframing it to say love means telling on your brother. Love means inviting help in because your brother needs help and you need help. And this behavior isn't healthy or good and it's wrong and it needs to stop. And so 
when you're working with a, a teen or a child who expresses that, it's helping them understand that telling means you're helping get help for everybody involved, including your, your brother. And then when you're working with young people who never did tell and are struggling with the emotions afterwards, it's, it's helping them sort through that to say, it made it would have been good to tell and that it wouldn't have been betraying your brother. It would have been inviting help and it would have been getting help in all the right ways. And how do you work through that now? And and in hindsight, you don't know what you don't know. And so you're helping people process the struggles and the emotions and the, the regrets of potentially not doing something sooner. I I like the telling means love. That, that really uh, frames it. For me, because I, yeah. I, I, like you said, it's coming up more and more. Sometimes I, I share with my husband some of the, you know, the stories generically, and he's like, that that can't possibly be happening all the time. It seems like every story you have, and and I wonder, is it mm. so? So another example was a gal that was actually in the training class. She she wasn't in the sex industry. She wanted to help other girls. And she was in first grade. Her brother was 10 years older and was coming into her, her room at night. And she did tell and uh, brother got in horrific trouble. Um, so that was a big separation for her and her brother. But to this day, her and her brother have never talked about it. And that is, is weird for her and it keeps coming up. Um, in that situation, when you're saying, okay, telling means love. So now she feels guilty that she did tell, but they're not ever going there. So the couple questions, if a 16 year old boy is going in there with his sister, is that a, a curiosity thing? Or is that, has something happened to him to make him, but to have him? Yeah. Yeah, you uh, you cut out there for a minute, so I apologize. But it, it could be a variety of things. It could be a, a sibling who is exposed to pornography and is um, is struggling with it and acting it out. It could be something happened to uh, the brother and he was abused. It could be a, a, a curiosity thing, but he's making really poor decisions. Um, so that's that's part of the struggle that every situation is different and complex, and wisdom is really finding out what's going on and how to intervene in ways that are going to help everybody involved. Mm-hmm. And would you suggest that she does now, as an adult, approach her brother or be be? And I'm saying that because her whole point is she had a friend that approached the father and the father denied it. So that hurt her friend even more because mm-hmm. you want them to say, I am, I am so sorry that you're hurting from that. And I was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You, you want to set good expectations. I think always being able to confront what happened in, in positive godly ways is beneficial to move forward, but you also have to be prepared that you can't guarantee how people respond. And so walking alongside her would be helping her process 
the various ways they could be responding to her should she come forward and her be prepared for that and know what she'll do and know how to feel and think about it. But again, when you think biblically about these things, we we never want to be afraid of speaking truthfully. We never want to be afraid of standing up for what's right. We we want to confront sin and wrongdoing. Um, And we also realize that sometimes the side of heaven, not everything will be made right. So I always want to help somebody be prepared for what you do if they're not going to be repentant or remorseful or apologize, and and where do you go from there? Hmm. Hmm. So how do you deal with that? Because that that is your specialty is is taking the biblical truths and pouring into people where they can see that God is here um, in it with you. Because uh, I I know that's one thing I struggle with when I have heard stories to go, okay, yeah, where was God when I was going, you know, through some of this? Um, what, how do you do that? Because you, you, you talk about that, you know, bringing heaven down to them. How do you go about doing mm-hmm. that? Well, in every situation, it's, it's different, but it's understanding how does God speak into their experience? What does God have to say about an issue like suffering or victimization and uh, that God is close to the brokenhearted, that though God sometimes feels silent, he's never absent. And that's where you see stories of Job and Joseph come alive, where God allowed brokenness to happen. He allowed evil to enter into their experiences, but it was uh, but it was not without purpose. And though we are always not we're not always given the reasons why can we trust that God is a good and faithful father who will take care of us? even in the midst of a broken, fallen world. So our promise isn't that uh, bad things won't happen to us. Our promise is that God will take everything and use it for good, that he'll take even the evil that happens, and he can do something beautiful out of the ashes. And I don't want to say that ever glibly. I want to sit in their experience and their suffering and, and hurt with them and help them express it and name the silences, name the suffering, that's the beauty of Psalms. It, it puts suffering out there and it names it and it gives voice to it. And uh, we're afraid to lament openly before God, but it, it always moves us towards God, not away from him. Mm. So good. Names it, gives voice to it. And and that leads into my, my next question regarding, uh, as a parent, you you feel guilty, right? You just always want to know that you're going to pay for your kids therapy as they get older Mm. with all the (laughs) stuff you did. Um, And you talk about that in your book, how, um, you know, to what extent should parents be involved in the child's counseling? And I want to go back to that other story where the, the gal said that her parents, um, really came down on her brother. So she felt guilty about that, uh, how much trouble he got into, but then it was never talked about again. So it's like, okay, I watched, I watched my brother get, you know, beaten. And then now, now what? So what, how do you, uh, sit in it with them? And instead of, okay, we're going to shut that door and never talk about this again. And you have to for 
ever after. So how do you deal with the solution? Yeah, well, and as we know, in every situation in counseling, families respond differently. Sometimes parents respond really well. Sometimes they respond poorly. Sometimes they don't know how to respond. And so you're always evaluating what's, what's going on in this context. And and when are parents part of the problem um, and you need to help them walk through how to respond in, in helpful ways? And one of the things I see in the book is that sometimes parents may be part of the problem. We always want them to be part of the solution. And so I'm a big believer that um, parents need to be a part of the process to some degree, that you want to help parents know how to love their children better. And that means, you know, walking alongside them and knowing them what their teen or their young person needs. It means engaging them as well. And that can look different, differently for uh, different families and how much they're involved, how little they're involved can vary. But you want to understand they're an important part of the process because as a counselor, my job is to work myself out of the job. My job is to help equip families and build bridges between families so that they're there long-term for one another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what would be a, um, an example uh, or a method that you would use to get teens to talk when they aren't necessarily willing participants of, of counseling. So you, let's say you have a girl like scenario using to help her. Well, I first just try to get her talking. So it might be saying things like, just tell me about school or tell me your hobbies. Tell me what kind of social media you're on. Tell me what you like about your friends. So it's entering into her world in places she's willing to be receptive and talk. And it's winning her trust. It's it's sharing that um, I care about her and I genuinely want to know her and her world. And it's it's starting broad with the things that could feel easy for a team to talk about and then slowly moving into the harder stuff because you're earning their trust. And um, it may be music is one I talked about already. It may be music and saying, hey, share with me some of your music. What do you like about it? How do you identify with it? What what makes you identify with this song or this artist? And um, looking for ways to connect with their their interests and the things that they value and then trying to move into talking about hard things. Maybe the hard things are their relationships with their parents or their siblings, or maybe it's the, the uh, brokenness of what's happening at school or peers or, or cyberbullying, but it's investing in them and earning their trust that they'll slowly want to open up to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, isn't it crazy? It all goes back to just the biblical principles of, of love feeling safe, mm-hmm. of belonging. I I do a lot of um, corporate executive coaching and it doesn't matter who I'm talking to and what level they are in the company, you know, as high as, you know, talking to C-suits and, you know, here, here you have a CEO and you're, our, you know, my purpose is to um, get them to, to work with their teams and hit their goals and show, you know, they're driven by results, show the performance. 
And when you create that safe environment, the next thing you know, they're sharing all the all the personal stuff because it's hard to go on. You can't separate that. It goes back to the you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs where you're creating that security and that safety to inspire them. Uh, but they want to know just like they're a child. They want to know they're being heard and that they can trust you before you can. Otherwise, it just stays shallow. It just stays Sure. Uh, you know, more more purposeful rather than the the people. Hmm. Really, do have to meet them where they're at and create that right. safe that safe environment. Um, versus when they come home and we're so angry, so upset by whatever they did, be it come home with, you know, tar all over a brand new outfit, <laughs> all the way to, right. you know, being a teenager and coming in past curfew, whatever it is, we immediately want to go into what they did wrong rather than saying, help me understand. And so we we just right. have two minutes, Julie, before the end of our show. Uh, breathe into that. What are what are some great tips for parents to be able just to not respond out of anger, but truly, like you said, getting into the the gospel of doing things the right way? Yeah. Well, I think as parents, we need to do a better job of asking questions more than going into lecture mode. So working really hard to draw our kids out, our teenagers, and not to accept I don't know. And instead to to take time to say, well, I have time. I can sit here and wait and wait them out in a, in a really good way to say what, what you think I care about. And there's no right or wrong here. Or maybe there is a right or wrong, but I really still want to know what you think. So a great principle is just being willing to ask good questions, being willing to sit in the silence sometimes and give them time and to demonstrate our own trustworthiness that we love them and we're for them even when they make mistakes. Yeah. And, and that is, that's so hard. I'm, I'm just laughing at, we're over here talking about this, but yet last night when you say stop lecturing, um, as much as I know that, uh, you know, making it applicable is a whole nother story. Mm. Last night I had a, a birthday party. I, I celebrate my birthday all month long. So <laughs> <laughs> my my daughter had uh, made some oatmeal cookies for me, which is the sweetest thing. But then she left all the burnt part of the oatmeal cookies on the tray. And instead of going, hey, what are you, what are you going to do with this tray? Hint, hint. Are you going to clean it? Or is this for <laughs> me too? I was like, I would like mm. to challenge you to, and she stopped me right there. And she was like, oh, mom, don't, don't say I'd like to mm. challenge you. <laughs> and at least she's able to share, hey, that's not a word that's going to help out. Can you so much quickly tell us where to get your book and what other 
I guess we're not. So thank you to for life. Find us on Facebook at Girlfriend It. Hit subscribe to iTunes or toginet.com.